Thanks for joining us for today's sermon on the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick, and we're so excited that you're going to check out today's message. Our prayer is that each week the message inspires you, challenges you, and helps you connect to God, maybe in a brand new way. We also pray that you connect with us as a community, that it doesn't stop just with your connection with God, but it gives you an opportunity to connect with the people at the Brick Church. So don't hesitate to reach out. Let's jump into today's message. Finishing up this series called Samson. If you are new with us, uh, the concept is that consequences haven't caught up yet for Samson. And we've taken a look at Samson's life and maybe how the moment that we all know about for Samson, if we've heard the story growing up, we know about this moment. There's this one moment where he gets into a relationship with Delilah and uh, she convinces him to give her the secret to his strength, which is he believes is cutting his hair. And that moment leads to this place in this time where the consequences catch up. Over the last two weeks, we've been diving into maybe what led to that. Maybe because Samson is a uh, Nazarite, he has three different vows he's supposed to commit to. So we've talked about the vineyard and how to stay out of the vineyard. We talked about not touching dead things and how those things may have given him an overconfidence in God's grace and God's uh, grace that's going to just let him keep going too far. That God's going to allow him to just keep pushing the boundaries of sin and keep going too far and the consequences will never catch up until they do. And so this, this verse we've been talking about every single week, I want to read it to you again. And this is the spot that I want to prevent from, from you ever getting to. I want to prevent you ever feeling what Samson felt when he told her about his hair, she cuts his hair, and this is what happens, uh, Judges 16, verse 20. It says, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. That last sentence, he did not know the Lord had departed from him. I would love, and if I can do anything as your pastor, if I can prevent that feeling, that sensation that you wake up, it's like, where did God go? And we kind of process through a little bit of Samson and how maybe, just maybe, it's not necessarily that God had departed from him, but it felt like God had departed from him. It felt like who he was and who God had called him to be and his design is just gone. He woke up and all the time that that said the spirit of the Lord came upon him, he would have this strength and he would be able to fight off whoever was around him. He would be able to do these amazing things with his strength. And all of a sudden he woke up and he can't do what he'd always been able to do. He could always shake off the consequences of his vineyard and his dead things. And this is the moment where he finally can't shake that off. Where, where in my opinion, he's, he's stepped outside of the protection of God. Like God is like has an umbrella to protect us from the rain of consequences in many cases. And eventually we go too far and we step outside of it. And it's like, God, where'd you go? And God's like, no, 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 where did you go? I, I told you not to be in the vineyard. I told you not to touch dead things. I told you not to cut your hair. Where did you go? You went too far. And so I'd love to prevent this. And so now we're kind of progressing into the place where we talk about Delilah and that consequence and how he got to the place of allowing his hair to be cut and how maybe it's progressed and how we can prevent and really get out. So if you're in this place, we're getting close to the Delilah moment. You're close to letting go of all that matters in your life. I wanna try to stop you today and hopefully you are able to make the adjustments. And so to lead up, um, he's, he's already been in the vineyard, it seems like, based on scripture. He's already touched dead bodies. He's already broken his two Nazarite vows. And now he's about to tell Delilah about his hair. But let's back up and talk a little bit about Delilah. Um, this is the first thing we find out about Delilah in Judges chapter 16, verse 4. It says, Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. 
after all this other stuff he's done, after the, the verses before tell us that he spent a night with a prostitute and they tried to kill him and he got away with that too. I mean, now he's with this woman named Delilah. We don't know a lot about Delilah. Um, Samson is actually betrothed to be married before this moment. And it doesn't even say that he loved that woman. The woman he's supposed to marry, it doesn't say he loves her. He loves Delilah, who says nothing about him planning on marrying. He's in love with this woman. We don't know if Delilah's a prostitute. Some commentators think she is. Some commentators think she's not. Some commentators think she's a Philistine, which is the group of people that are ruling over his people, over Samson's people, over God's people, over Israel. Some people think she's a Philistine. Other people think she's uh, uh, an Israelite, that she's one of Samson's people. So there's a lot of question marks about who Delilah is. Um, but one thing that I found interesting this week about Delilah is that it's first, she's been given a name. His previous betrothed wife doesn't get a name. So there's some significance there. And it turns out that her name seems to mean something along the lines of feeble or delicate. The, the woman that the strongest man who, to ever live, the one who's anointed by God for strength, that can take down buildings, that can destroy a thousand people with a, the, the jawbone of a donkey, the guy who's really strong, the hero of our day, falls in love with a woman who's probably dainty or delicate or feeble. Someone who is maybe looked at as weak. And I find it interesting that it was strength matched with what might be seen as weakness. It was, it was strong with delicate. I find it interesting that probably if you were Samson, you thought the only thing that can destroy me is something stronger than me, right? That's what, that's what I need to prevent. That's what I need to protect myself from. The consequences are gonna catch up if they get 2,000 people or they get 3,000 people because I know I can take out 1,000 with the jawbone of a donkey because I did. I, win that, I won that battle. But if they get 2,000, maybe that's what it's gonna be. Maybe the thing that's gonna take me down in my life is this external thing that's gonna beat my calling, that's gonna destroy the thing that I'm, that's gonna be better than my own gifting. And it turns out it's actually the opposite. The thing you didn't expect the small thing that seemed weak at the time. The small thing was that relationship with Delilah where she seemed weak and was like, how could she hurt me? And so what I'm gonna challenge you to ask today and process through are, are what are your Delilahs? What are the things in your life that are set to destroy you, but you've justified being in love with? What are the things in your life that are, and that's what Delilah does. Delilah is, is like not even trying to hide the fact that she's trying to get the secret to his strength. She doesn't hide the fact that she calls out the, to the Philistines to destroy him in the middle of getting his secret. And he lies to her three different times about what the secret is. Three different times. What is going on, Samson? How many times you need? First time, it's like, I get it. You love her. She's pretty. She's delicate. She's dainty. You're in love. I mean, everybody's got an excuse for something stupid we've done when we're in love, right? You just did something stupid. You look foolish. You wore something you shouldn't have wore. You cut your hair in a way you shouldn't have cut because you were in love and they said they liked it. And you're like, oh, wish I could take that back, right? We get it the first time. The second time, I mean, may, ah, nah, that was pretty stupid. You probably shouldn't know the second time. The third time's all on you, right? You've got a friend that ends up in a healthy, unhealthy relationship. The first time you feel bad for them, oh, he was a jerk to you. He was terrible. She was mean to you. Fill in the blank. Second time, you're kind of like, I only kind of feel bad for you. The third time, you're like, that's on you. That is on you. That ain't on him. He might be a jerk, but you picked him. And you like your Delilahs. And all of us have some things in our life that we fall in love with, but are destined to destroy us. And we think they can't. We lie to ourselves like that. that ain't, that's feebleness and I'm strength. That's something opposite to what I think will destroy me, but I love it so much. I'll create a false world 
this false pretense that tells the world that I'm stronger than this, I'm bigger than this, this would never take me down. And we lie to ourselves about our Delilah. So there's, there's three things that I wanna maybe process and challenge you to think about that might be your Delilah. I'm not just talking about relationships, but that's one of them. Some of us choose relationships that are absolutely deadly to us. We choose relationships that are set out to destroy us, they're bad for us, this is not a character judgment on the people you date. I don't, I don't know their situation. I don't know their story. They, they need their own grace and mercy. I'm not talking about their character. I'm talking about your choices. When I say you were Delilah in that relationship, this ain't Delilah's bad. This is Samson's bad. This is Samson's choices. He had plenty of opportunities to escape this situation and stayed in it. So we're not talking about how bad your partner was or how bad your other relationships were. We're talking about your choices to stay in unhealthy things because you love them. Because you say you don't want somebody to treat you like that in a relationship, but you keep picking the same people over and over and over again. And then you wonder, wonder why you're dying on the inside, why it's destroying you, why you hate this thing, but you keep telling the world that you love it. The next thing that might be in your life, that might be a Delilah, that might represent a Delilah in your life are habits. You may have some habits that you've made excuse after excuse after excuse for, and God is saying, that's your Delilah. Fill in the blank of what that habit was. It can be a drink because it's only, it's only a couple, it's small, it's feeble, it's just, it's just two or three, I'm functioning. So far, I haven't got fired from my job for how much I drink at night and how late I stay up drinking. So far, I haven't gotten trouble for the pills that I take. They don't do drug tests in my work, so maybe just I, just, I can take as many as I want. I can do as much as I want, because so far, I've not gotten caught in it. Samson thought that too. No, Delilah can't destroy me because I'm tricking her over and over and over again. And I'm lying to myself that she won't get me. I'm lying to myself that it won't hurt me. I'm lying to myself that this isn't painful and it's not destroying my life. And lastly, the third thing that you might look at, and there may be more, are your environments. The places you put yourself that are killing you. The places you're putting yourself that are destroying your soul. And you're lying to yourself. You're lying to the people around you that I'm good when I'm there. I'm fine. Well, every time you leave that environment, you seem like a terrible person. Every time that you leave that environment, you don't speak with hope. You speak with sadness and you sound terrible and you're frustrated. You're in an environment that's unhealthy. Right? Every time you're around this group of people, you gossip and you lie to yourself and you're like, well, it's not gossip because it's the truth, right? You ever heard that line? I'm not, I'm not gossiping, I'm telling the truth. Not everything that's true needs to be said. And it might be killing your soul because you're getting a little bit of joy, a momentary bit of joy out of this talk that's negative about somebody else and you think it's justified because it's true. Uh, the the good, good Christian way to do gossip is to say, pray for so-and-so. Pray for Sister Heather, let me just tell you. And then you go into a spiel of gossip about how bad their life is, and which, but pray for them. But I mean, pray for them. And secretly, you were just trying to gossip about them, right? That's the Christian way to do it if you're wanting to try to get away with gossip in case you're wondering little tricks from the pastor. Uh, and it's killing you. The environment, the work environment that you know it's a job you shouldn't have been in, you shouldn't have got in, you know you need to get out, but you love it. You love the gossip. You love the environment where they need you and they're clinging to you and they're sucking the life out of you, but you love it because you love to be needed. That's your Delilah. That's your moment that is trying to suck the life out of you. And one of the signs that maybe just maybe you have a Delilah in your life is the area, and this is gonna be a hard question to ask. Do you have an area of your life that the people you love the most and love you the most, moms, dads, brothers, cousins, family, friends, people that have grown up with you, that have your back. Like you know that when, when stuff hits the fan, you know what I'm talking about, stuff hits the fan, the stinky stuff. When stuff hits the fan, that's who, that's who you can call because they'll have your back. 
right? You don't have to have talked to them for 10 years. You know that they would have your back when everything goes south. When you're in jail, they're the person you call because they got your back, they love you, they're gonna support you. Those people, the people that you know want God's best for you, there's an area of your life that you don't tell them about. That's a big sign you got a Delilah. There's an area of your life that you wouldn't let them speak into because you know they would tell you it's killing you, it's bad for you, and you don't wanna hear it. You don't wanna hear it because you've created a set of lies in yourself that say, well, I love her. I love her. She's, she's dainty. She's delicate. She's sweet. And if we're honest, it feels good for a moment, right? The bits of life that we get out of our Delilahs, they feel good for a season, but it'll eventually kill you. And it will take you further than you wanna go. The Delilahs in your life will destroy you and will eventually kill you because that's what happens to Samson. She takes out his calling. The thing he's designed for, she takes it out because he can't get away from her, even whenever it's evident that he should. Even whenever what Samson has done is pushed away all the people he loves. By the time we read about, about Delilah, mom and dad are nowhere to be found. Chapter 14, chapter 15, when he's going through all of his other stuff, mom and dad are right there. Get to Delilah, no mom and dad. The other thing that happens to Samson that should have been a red flag for him is he frustrates all the Philistines before he ever gets to Delilah. He frustrates all the Philistines. He sets the, the fields on fire, essentially, and destroys all their crops. And the Philistines come up against the nation of Israel. And they're like, listen, you guys are, we're ruling over you. And now you got this guy in your possession, this guy that lives in your land who's destroying our crops. It's time to pay the piper. It's time to deal with your stuff because we're coming after you if you don't give us him. And so the Israelites are like, he didn't, he doesn't represent us. We didn't build an army. That was on him. He caught the foxes. He set the fields on fire. That's not me. So they go to Samson and Samson says, okay, I'll let you hand me over to them as long as you don't kill me. And that's what the Israelites do. They tie him up, hand him over to Philistines. He gets free from the Philistines in that moment. That should have been a sign that the people that you were born to deliver, the people that you were born to set free, the people you were anointed to be around that were supposed to be God's people for you, the people that were supposed to be your people, jump ship from you because you've gone too far. Red flag, red flag. And it goes and it, it keeps escalating. And it's crazy how much it escalates. Like it escalates to the point that I'm convinced that when you start talking about heaven and hell, I'm convinced that we eventually choose hell. If we stay with our Delilah, we choose hell eventually. And you're like, that's, that's absurd. Like, why would you, who chooses hell, right? We got all these sayings like the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I don't, I don't really think so. I don't think so. I think we choose hell. And I think we'd go right back to hell if we got out of it because we continually choose hell and our life has shown that we chose hell. And again, you're like, that's ridiculous. Except I've seen us do it, me and you do it over and over and over again. I've seen dads drink their family away. No good and well, that's gonna cost them a woman who's good to him. No good and well, that it's gonna cost them their kids and can't say no to the bottle. Know, know that they can go to rehab. Know that their family is gonna support them to go to rehab, but this feels good for a moment and I can't give it up. I've seen people with just, their, their, their Delilah might just be their attitude. I've seen people with anger issues and they're pushing and they're pushing their spouse away. They're pushing their kids away. They're yelling, they've got a tone. And all they can say is that's on them because they're soft. That's on them because they don't know how to take my personality. That's on them because they're just being weak. Instead of asking and inviting some people into their life to say, hey, maybe my family doesn't love me like they should because I spoke with a tone that my dad spoke to me with that I should have stopped. Maybe I need to go see a therapist, talk to a pastor, have a conversation to get over some trauma that I went through so I don't spew it out onto my family. But I'm stuck with my Delilah because it feels good to yell in the moment. 
It feels good to say your piece. It feels good to wave with that one finger to the car that's cutting in front of you, right? It feels good to be that driver that's cussing and telling them how, how, how bad they are as drivers. It feels good to be the boss until you wake up like Samson woke up and you feel like I've lost everything. I've lost everything and it just keeps escalating until we choose it. It's a snowball effect until we choose it over and over again. And we got all these signs that are so obvious to everyone else around us. It's so obvious that Delilah is killing him. It escalates and escalates because it keeps going and it keeps going until eventually it will, it will frustrate us to the point that we have nothing left to choose but it. Here's what happens to Samson. Samson in Judges chapter 16, verse 16, lets her know what his secret is. You cut my hair, I'll lose my strength. And it says this uh, before, before he lets her know, here's how he got there. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. One translation said she was nagging him till he was sick to death. I feel like a man wrote that. I feel like a man who was having trouble with his marriage was writing that. So I was like, ah, we're not gonna use that translation. She was nagging him over and over and over and complaining to him and whining him saying, if you love me, you would tell me your secret. If you really cared about me, where are you gonna go, Samson? You pushed out everybody who loves you. You pushed out mom and dad. All I've got, all you've got left is me. All you've got left is your Delilah. It keeps progressing. It's not going to stop. You're not just going to be, and for Samson in this moment, we don't know how long has passed. How many times she's been complaining and whining. Has, she, has he been with her for five years, for 10 years? The most we know is that he was considered a judge or a deliverer of Israel for 20 years. We assume that it started when he was 20 and he died when he was 40 and he was there for 20 years as a deliverer. We don't know the time gap between his first wife and Delilah, but we can assume. Is it a month? Is it two months? Is it every night she's done it? And like four nights in a row, she nags him until, until, until he finally gives up his secret? Or is it one quarter and then the next quarter, one year and then the next year until eventually he's thinking, I've got away with it for four years. I should be all right. I've been in this relationship with Delilah who I love and I can't get away from who's the only thing that I've got left and she's tormenting me now. What, do I, what else am I gonna do? You eventually will progress. If you don't read the signs, you don't recognize the people that you've pushed away, you don't recognize it's all you've got left, you will eventually get to a place where it will vex your soul. It will vex your soul. Like It will, it will get to a place where you're, you, will, you will feel so crushed that you have no choice left but to go deeper into the bottle, deeper into the pills, deep, deeper into the unhealthy relationship, deeper into debt. What choice do I have? This is all I got left. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been to that place? where your soul was so vexed, you thought, I mean, what does it even matter? What does it even matter? What does it even matter at this point? And I'm here to tell you it matters. If you get anything from today, know that it matters because my God is a God of hope and my God is a God of calling. And you are not here by accident. Samson is very explicit about Samson. Samson is here on purpose. He has an anointing. He has a design. He's called to do something and he's sacrificing that on the altar of Delilah. And for you, if you get to a place where you're so vexed and you're so, your soul is so beaten down, you're so struggling, you're thinking about giving in, you're thinking about just giving it all up. It just doesn't matter. I might as well just stick to the drink, stick to the pills, stick to the anger, stick to the relationship, stick to the job that's killing me, stick to the place that's hurting me, the thing that's killing me. When your soul gets there, I'm begging you, the call of God, the anointing of God is so great, so amazing. The grace of God is so amazing. Run. Run from the vexing. Run from the soul-crushing life that is trying to bring you down. Run with everything you've got. 
And it will be the most difficult thing in your life because you've gone so far into this thing and you believe that the thing that I'm doing is my identity. The person I'm with is my identity. My anger is my identity. How I talk is my identity. I could never show up to a party without a beer in my hand. There's no way because that's who I am. This is what I drink. I could never show up without being the guy that's got the stuff that everybody needs. I can never because this is who I am. It's convincing you the lie that you don't have a choice, that delight is all there is. And there is still a God that you can run to. And I'm saying, run, run with everything you've got. It don't matter if everybody is ashamed of you because you end up in rehab, end up in rehab. It doesn't matter if people are confused while you're driving the hoopty around because you're trying to get out of debt and not be covered in debt. Drive the hoopty. It doesn't matter if people are like, Oh, did you see they was in marriage counseling. That's crazy. They must be having struggles. Yeah, we're having struggles. We're trying to get fixed. That's why we're in marriage counseling. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. Your call is too great to not run from it, to not run from the vexing, not run from the nagging, not run from the thing that's trying to suck you into this hole of death, to this abyss, this black hole that's going to suck the life out of you. You're going to wake up and go, I thought I was vexed until I felt the spirit of God lead me. I thought I was vexed. And now I know what it really feels like to have despair. I thought I was dying. And then I gave up my secret. I gave up the thing. And then I found out what it really was like to hurt, to have no peace, nothing left, and be alone. And, and the reason that I want to just double down is because this thing, this Delilah in your life, feels good, right? If we're honest, we don't just end up in these situations, bad relationship things, because it's like this, this Delilah is like a pseudo-intimacy. It's like a fake happiness, It's a fake joy because for a moment, it's like the aspartame of sugar. It makes us feel good for a moment, but it has nothing in it. It's killing us, but it's making us feel good in the process of killing us. It's it's, it's destroying our soul, but we get brief moments of dopamine that make us feel okay with how we're dying. And I think that's what happens with Samson. With Samson, he's lulled into believing that this is all I got left. Here's what happens in Judges chapter 16, verse 19. It says, then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. This image of him being lulled to sleep, I mean, you're talking about probably a big dude. I don't think he was like this lean cut, strong guy. I'm sure he's a big dude. God gave him strength. There's muscles that come with the strength. Massive dude laying on the, the, the lap, laying on the knees of this feeble, delicate woman. I picture this grown man who emotionally is now like a child in the lap of his mother because that's the only place, that's the only moment he has left that gives him sleep, that gives him rest. And because the drink, the attitude, the environment, the habit, the thing is the only moment you get peace, you are lulled into the sleep of believing it's all you've got left because you spend sleepless nights, because you struggle, nothing seems to satisfy and it's because it's time to run. I don't know what it takes for Samson in the midst of his angst. And if you're there, you're in the midst of your depression, your anxiety, the angst, the feeling of like nothing even matters. Who even cares? If I can just get one moment away from this feeling, if it's the pill, if it's the drink, if it's the relationship, if I can just get one moment away, it's worth it. If he's so lulled into sleep, she can shave off his head. They don't have nice Bic razors to shave his head. He most likely had dreadlocks. It was like shearing a sheep is what it would have been like. They don't have machine tooling to get real nice, real sharp razors in that day. They were cutting his hair and he's still not waking up. He's lulled to sleep in her lap. 
And so you can think, well, some theologians or some commentators suggested maybe she gave him opiates. Maybe he, he did partake in the vineyard and it was drink. Scripture doesn't tell us. Scripture doesn't tell us that he, he got drunk and that's what lulled him to sleep. I think it's her that lulled him to sleep. I think he's so anxious, he's so stressed, he's so worried, he's so lost in despair because he's outside of his calling, he's outside of the call of, of God in his life that there's only one thing left for him that gives him any peace and it's the lap of the woman who's trying to kill him. And that's how good Satan is at lulling you into your death, lulling you into hell, lulling you into the thing that's gonna kill you and destroy your family in the process. He will convince you it's not that bad, it's just a feeble woman. It's not that bad. You feel good while you do it, right? Why would, why would God not want me to feel like this? Why would God not want me to have this moment? It makes me feel good for this brief moment while the rest of my life seems miserable. Why would God not? And he's saying, what I'm saying is what God is trying to say to you is run. Run from that sensation that you think it's the only thing left because the thing God wants for you is for him to sustain you, not the woman's lap who's trying to kill you. It's him that's designed to sustain you. He's the one that is supposed to be your all in all. He's the one that's supposed to be the one you run to and you lay in his lap and he comforts you and he brings you peace. It says that he's a good shepherd that helps you lay down in pastures that you can chill and you can relax and you can find the love and the joy and the peace and the hope that God has to offer. Or you can find the love and the joy and the peace that's pseudo love, pseudo joy, pseudo, pseudo peace that this world has to offer. You get brief bits of it, but it will eventually kill you. It will eventually destroy your life and you will wake up and thought you had it bad until you wake up and it feels like the spirit of God has left you. So I'm begging you, if you're there, if you've gone past the vineyard, you've gone past the dead things and you're at your Delilah and she's vexing you, not the relationship, but all of it, whatever it is for you, run with everything you've got. I mean, make whatever sacrifice, have whatever conversation you're scared of, talk to all the people. And the way that you're gonna do that, the way that I would challenge you to run is run right back to restoration. What I told you before is that the sign for him was that the people that loved him most, that had his best interest in mind, are the people he pushed away. And I'm begging you to run back to those people and ask hard questions. When you find yourself with your Delilah, she's vexing your soul, don't give in, run back to restoration, run back to the people who have your back, the people that love you the most, and ask them, the thing you're scared to ask them, ask them, is this relationship good for me? Hey, do I drink too much? Is it, hey, I know you love me. I know you got my back. Do I have an anger problem? Hey, I know you love me. Do I, do I treat my wife well? I know you love me. I know you got my back. Am I parenting my kids in a healthy way? I know you love me. I know you've got my back. Ask them the question that you know you're scared to ask and restore that relationship. And if you've cut it off and it's not restored and you push them so far back that you can't ask that, then eat some crow. Make the apologies, beg for forgiveness because it was you who pushed. Come back and say, you know what? I should have listened. I made a mistake. I know you have my back. I know you have my best interest in mind. My bad, I'm so sorry. Last week I told you a story of a, a young lady who was one of my uh, leaders in my youth ministry. It was a small youth ministry. It was like four adult leaders and 15 students. So everybody knew everybody. And I told you a story about how she got frustrated at the church and how we sat down and had lunch and um, she was like, y'all are gossiping. And I was like, we're gossiping. I didn't know we were gossiping. Tell me what we're gossiping about. All y'all are talking about us having sex. I didn't know you were having sex. So that's crazy that we're gossiping about something. I had no idea. Are you, why are you telling me this? Are you having sex? She got in her feelings. She got her, her feelings hurt. She pushed away from the church. Both of them were in the church and both of them left. And then someone snitched on me about that story. One of my old students uh, actually attends here and came to that leader and was like, hey, I heard this story. What leader was that? 
how did that happen? What are you talking about? So we got in a group message and we're still friends. So she, she group messaged me and watched. She was like, hey, I heard a story that sounded very familiar to me. And I was like, oh, that was crazy times. She was like, oh my gosh, that was bad times. She's like, it was really difficult. I, it was foolish. I can't, it was crazy, right? Um, and she said, I need you to make sure that when you tell my story, make sure you tell some of the good stuff too. I tried to finish it last week. We won't finish it even better this week. The difference between the person that now I can group message and we can laugh about how silly it was. The reason that the, the student that used to be one of her students while she was a, a leader in the student ministry could come and ask her who it was. Like, hey, who is this? Who, who did this thing that he's talking about, the story? The reason that she can come tell me, hey, say, you can say my name if you want to, just tell them how, how, how it finishes. And the reason all of that can take place is because at some point she came back and said, oops, my bad. I was convicted for my sinful actions, and I pushed y'all away. My bad. She came back, and there was restoration for her, so much so that there were students that had no idea about that portion of her story, how she was mad at the church, how she was mad at me, how she was mad at people in the church. They didn't even need to know that part of her story because God had restored her so much, and the relationships were so restored. She can group text us and be like, hey, isn't that funny? Isn't that crazy? I can't believe you remember this. Do you remember when this happened? That we can have a restoration and speak into each other's life because she came back and said, oops, my bad. I pushed y'all away because I was convicted. So if you're in that place and you've pushed some people away, go back and say, oops, my bad, and make some restoration. Ask for advice. Tell them you've messed up. Do whatever you've got to do to restore that relationship because God has placed them there to give you guidance. And sometimes guidance are things you don't want to hear. Sometimes they're going to tell you, that's bad for you. It's going to kill you. Stop it. And you need to listen because God has placed them there for a reason to help you. You got scripture and you got people. You got scripture and you got people. And when you're not listening to those two things, you're in the midst of a Delilah. When you've pushed pushed away God's word and we've pushed away healthy relationships, find your Delilah because she's killing you. She's trying to take you. She's trying to take you out. She's trying to vex your soul until you give in to the black abyss that is the presence of God missing. Run, restore, and lastly, maybe, just maybe there's a handful of you here today that are, that are in this boat, a handful of you may be listening through YouTube or on podcasts. Maybe you feel like Samson felt and you feel like God left you. Like you, you've, you're there, you're like, ooh, I'm past Delilah, I done gave in. I'm not even sure I'm here today because I gave in to all of it. Like I got no hope left, I got nothing left. I knew who God was, I knew what I was supposed to do and I just gave in because I just couldn't, I just gave up. I pushed everybody out, I told my secrets, and I went right in full force to my Delilah. What I need you to know is that the umbrella never moves, that God's protection, God's grace is still there. Even though it felt like, he was like, God, where'd you go? I've been here the whole time, is what God's saying. Like, I didn't leave you, you left me. I tried to move it as far as I could. I tried to protect you as long as I could. And what I wanna challenge you to do is what eventually Samson does, is just turn back. And you, the crazy thing is Samson didn't even do it that good. You don't even have to be perfect at it. I'm challenging you to do it before you're even perfect. Just turn back. Just turn back. Just give God an inch, just a little bit of a turn, just unlock the door and he'll start working the handle. Just give God a chance to come save you from the thing that you got yourself in. And he's the God who leaves the 99 for the one lost sheep to bring it back with the 99. He leaves the nine coins to go chase the one. My God is pursuing you and he's saying, come back. You've gone too far. I'll go chase you, but you gotta let me know you're lost. 
Because he says, I came for the sick, not the healthy. I came for the sinner, not the righteous. So if you think you're good, he can't help you. But the second you can turn and go, God, I need your help. He's like, that's what I've been waiting on. I've been waiting on you to hit your prodigal son moment. I'm here. Samson doesn't even do it that good. Here's how Samson does it, right? So Samson gets his eyes plucked out. Like they poke his eyes out. He's blind. They take him because he doesn't have his strength. They put him in slavery. And here's, he's, he's surrounded by 3,000 Philistines. And he's just a slave that's tied up. And this is what he asked God in Judges chapter 16, verse 28. It says, then Samson called to the Lord saying, oh Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray just this once. Oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Just this once, God. I would have loved if the rest of that sentence was like, let me help deliver Israel. I would have loved that his heart was pure enough to say, I messed up. I was supposed to deliver people. I was supposed to live out my calling. I have more to do on this earth. God, restore my eyes even. Like he had all kinds of things he could have said. He wasn't perfect in it. And yet God turns. God's like, okay, that's all I needed. Vengeance for my two eyes. That's not what you need vengeance for. You have a calling to do a whole bunch of other things, but it was sufficient for him to turn even in an imperfect way, even in a weak way to say, just help me a little bit. Oh God, please, just a little bit, just this once, maybe, just maybe you can save me out of my Delilah situation. And God said, deal, bet. You weren't perfect in it. You didn't have to be perfect in it. All I need is just a slight turn. All I need is for you to say, God help, God please. Right? Most of us are trying to figure out how we can say it right, how we can get ourselves cleaned up enough to at least explain to God how we ended up with Delilah. And God is saying, I don't need all that. I just need you to turn and ask. I don't need you to be perfect before you can ask me. I don't need you to get cleaned up because as soon as you think you're cleaned up is when you don't think you need me and then you won't turn to me. But if you'll stop in the midst of your turmoil and your blindness and your hurt and in your pain and you say, God, help. That's all he needs. I remember mine. I remember my moment where I was at the end of my rope. I knew the call of God and I knew how I was living and I knew they didn't line up and I'd gone too far. I'd gone too far. Like I was in a place where I, could, I couldn't stop. Like I, I just couldn't stop and I knew I couldn't stop and I'm weeping before God. God, take this from me because now I found out I don't have the strength. And God said, bet, I got you. And I would love to tell you like the next day it was all gone, it was perfect. Or the week after it was perfect. All I know is I was like, God, I can't, God, I can't. I don't know how, I'm just trying, I'm just trying, just help me, please God, please God, please God. And I look back six months later and I was like, oh, that's gone. Where, where did that go? I didn't do that. How did you do that? It's because God didn't come for the righteous. He came for the ones who said, I can, God help. God, I need a savior. He don't come for the ones who know that they got it all together, they're all perfect. Jesus can't help you when you're perfect. Boy, he can help you when you're lost, you're blind, you're hurting, you got in the midst of all of it. He's got your back. He's just saying, just, just give me a little sheep bleep that, that lets me know that you're out there. Just give me a little sign that you're lost somewhere, that you know you're lost and I got you. Just give me a sign that you're lost and I got you. It doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to call out to him. You just have to say, God, I've gone too far. Don't let me go any further. God, please help me. Just show me the next step. I don't need all the steps. God, just please help me. That's all you need. Just, just a little, just a little if you're there. Let's pray. We're so glad you joined us for today's message. Our prayer is that God got the message you needed most today. If you're still here joining us and you're looking for an opportunity to connect to the Brick Church through giving, you can do that by texting the word BRICK to 45888. 
That's the word BRICK to 45888. The first time you do that, it's going to send you a link, give you the opportunity to connect that number to a credit card, debit card, or bank account. And as you connect with us and we partner together to reach people, we pray that God blesses you in your giving.